Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And this is Crimeology. This is episode 74. So thank you guys so much for coming back and continuing to listen. Make sure you check out our social media channels at Crimeology Pod on Instagram. Obviously, we'll post pictures there. On Facebook, we post our source material, so where we get our information. A lot of times I talk about interrogation videos, yada, yada, yada. I post all of that on our Facebook page. If you want to go look for additional information, you can go there. And then we have an email, crimeologypod at gmail.com. Send comments, questions, concerns, episodes. Send all of that over there. Um that's how we've gotten in contact with a few of you and we really enjoy it. So go send us an email. So with that being said, we're just going to jump into this episode. This is episode 74, Dorothea Puente. So I will first plug that there is an episode about this case on Netflix. This series is called Worst Roommate Ever, and that is how I first learned about this case. So go check it out. There are a couple more episodes in that series, and they were all really good. So go watch it. Is this a show about you or? (laughs) No. Your wife thought I was a good roommate. She better think I'm a good roommate. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry. I, it's been a while since I've been able to rip you. And that was just it was just calling to me of it's time to rip rip Sam. Whatever. Anyways. <laughs> Dorothea lived in Sacramento, California, where Dorothea worked as a caregiver for the disabled, both physically and mentally. She would travel from home to home and see patients in their homes and had the ability to prescribe them medications and would provide them care in their homes. So she would come into people's houses and essentially drug them. And then she would steal checks. She's stealing jewelry, cash, and then she would end up cashing the checks. Okay. So a little bit into your outside of your pod your your real adult life right you not i wouldn't say deal with this but like you kind of have a like you kind of deal with this in a way right would it be very easily for someone to do this now oh i mean i specifically work in hospice so i specifically work with technically people who are in the last six months of their life so a lot of times it I say this and you've got to get my sense of humor and also get what I do for a living. But we essentially do give them a lot of these medications that just help them feel comfortable. So it would be essentially super easy for you to do this. Um, and unfortunately we do run into a lot of circumstances where children of our patients will come and try to, have their parents sign over the car to them, sign over the house to them when their patient's not in their right mind. Right. So essentially this does happen a lot more than you think it probably would. Um, maybe not to this degree of 
cashing checks and stuff like that. But essentially, it happens far more than you would like it to. Okay, that's uh, that's kind of. I mean, not you when you have a. Um, I mean, I'll say it. when you have somebody who is in the state that they're in, they're an easy target. Right. So yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what I was thinking, but I just wanted to just hear it. Get a first hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't do it. <laughs> Let me throw that out there. I love my job. I want to keep my job. Yeah, I don't try- do it. I'm not trying to incriminate Sam <laughs> at all. Let's make that clear, too. So, 1982, Malcolm McKenzie accused Dorothea of drugging him. He said they met each other at a local bar, and Dorothea went home with him. He said he woke up in the middle of the night, but he wasn't able to move. So he said he laid there in his bed as he watched Dorothea steal from him and then leave. So after this, Dorothea was arrested and charged with the threat, sorry, theft crimes and sentenced to five years in prison. This is when officials start to figure some things out about Dorothea. They figured out she was not a doctor or nurse and had no medical background to be prescribing people these meds that she was giving them and then they also found out that Dorothea had a criminal history in the past at the from the age of 19 for forging checks being a prostitute and then later being madam so when the news broke about this case against Dorothea the family of of Ruth Monroe also came forward and said they believed that Dorothea also drugged and killed their mother. April 1982, Ruth moved in with Dorothea, but soon after moving in with Dorothea, Ruth passed away from an overdose. When Dorothea was questioned after the death, she said that Ruth was really depressed and that she committed suicide. Now at the time, details with Ruth's life no one really questioned it so Ruth's death was labeled a suicide just because of details surrounding Ruth's life at the time it kind of you were like well she was going through a b and c so she could have killed herself so it wasn't really ever questioned yeah my guess is it probably was just like a there wasn't enough evidence to even like right. push Dorothea to be like, oh, did right. you, you know, even question her, like really get into questioning her about that. So, I mean, and I- Dorothea is known in the community. She, during the time that she does these, she is around the age of 60. I think she goes to trial and at the trial, she's 63. So, During this whole time, she's in her late 50s, early 60s, but she looks like she's in her late 80s. Like, she looks significantly Hmm. older than she is. Right. So, she definitely uses that to her advantage to act like the poor, pitiful old lady when really she's more agile than she's letting you know. But she's more, she's very known in the community and so because she is taking care of the sick and disabled people are like oh she's such an angel and Mm -hmm. she does so much for the community and so again when people 
are like, oh, Ruth died in her house. Dorothy is just so kind and she probably took care of her until the very end. Right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, adding that to the equation too. Interesting. So when Dorothea gets out of jail, she stops caring for people at their homes and instead has people move into her home and cares for them there. Even though part of her parole was that she wasn't allowed to be the caretaker for anyone. Besides her being in violation of her parole, what she's doing is very illegal. So how she would get around this was the fact that she had been married four times. So including her maiden name, she had five different last names she could use. So if she got in trouble or if people started questioning her, she could give a different last name that didn't have a record attached to it. And then officials would never know who she was or what she was doing. So basically what you're saying is if you ever want to get into like criminal activity. Marry a bunch of people. And you're, well, I mean, really, well, I mean, I guess you could be a male and take the female's last name. I guess you could. And progressiveness. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, yeah. And then just go by and be like, oh, yeah. Crime tip. 103 okay marry 16 different people so then that way you always have a real alias you can use not a made-up one i mean there we go there you go crime tip 103 okay when someone would move into dorothea's house she would take money from their social security checks for rent and food but sometimes she gained the ability from these people to be the one to sign and cash the checks for them. So she had the ability to take these people's checks and run because she's not only working with physically disabled people, but with mentally disabled people and taking advantage of them. November 1988, a man named Bert moved into Dorothea's house. Dorothea was highly recommended to Bert's social worker, which is why Bert ended up there. Okay, so hold on one second. So you said this was like super illegal what she's doing, right? Right. But yet the social worker put him there? Right. Like is it would that person be in like in the wrong? I mean, 100% is in the wrong because you're not asking for and again, I don't know exactly what you would need but you're not asking for their certificates or yeah i don't know what you need but like she's not asking for any of that you're just like word of mouth again dorothy is known around the community people are like oh she's the kindest old lady bert can live over there and he'll be perfectly fine and so she's like okay so yeah a few weeks after bert moved in his social worker called the house to see how he was doing And Dorothea told her that Bert wasn't there, that he had gone to Mexico to see his family. Now, the social worker didn't believe her because she knew that Bert didn't have any communication with his family. And so a week later, when she called again and Dorothea told her Bert had moved completely to Mexico, she knew something was wrong and labeled him as a missing person. So this is definitely one of like, okay, here's mistake number one or two in right. this case of like, you 
you've got to know. I mean, if you're really going this far deep into it, you've really got to know, like, okay, does he talk to his family? Do right. Where is his On family? Side, right. yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, you've really got to know Crime Tip 104. I'm just kidding. Um, like you've like right. you, you're really going this deep into it. You've really got to know the full situation you can't just be like oh yeah he went to louisiana for right. three weeks and then he's going to florida and so, i mean you can't really get away with doing specifically that. when you work with mentally disabled people well and especially when you're when it's leave. one person too right you can't right. be like oh no sorry that's somebody else right right so officials go out to dorothea's house to ask about bert when they get there and see all the people there, they ask what those people were doing there because remember, part of her parole was that she wasn't allowed to be a caretaker. And this is when Dorothy admits that she is in violation of her parole and, and says she's the caretaker for these people. So at this point, police ask if they can search Dorothea's house and she agrees. So officials said that they noticed these small blue pills all over the house and when they looked into it did they find out that these pills helped people sleep so it's thought that these were the things that dorothy was giving everyone and helping her commit the crimes that she did and when i say these pills were everywhere like not even in pill bottles they are in like bed spreads they're in the corner of rooms so they are literally everywhere mm-hmm. well yeah that's i mean Number two tip, if you're going to commit crimes with pills, make sure they're not anywhere spread out. Don't let them go out all over the place. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, especially if it's um, like what we know as melatonin today, if it was basically that, or if it was a higher grade Mm -hmm. of that, like that would clearly make sense that, you know, this is, if she's giving people these that's you know to kind of make them go to sleep or sedate them a little bit like that's clearly what she's going to be using right to to pull whatever off so the social worker asked police if they could dig up in dorothea's backyard she said she had a feeling that there was something in the garden back there so when officials are finished searching the house they just go ahead and ask dorothy if they can dig in her backyard and she says yes So when they start digging, they find multiple pieces of cloth and something that looks like leather. They continue digging in these areas and they soon find skeletal remains. It later becomes clear that the leather type material they find was human flesh. Whoa. With With the first body that they find... They take Dorothea in for questioning and they have video footage of her interrogation and she's just not acting like someone who just had a body found in her backyard. And so this is what I talked about that she acts extremely older than she is. This is definitely, you can see this in this interrogation video. She is basically emotionless and she's just telling officials that they're, that they will find out how long that body has been in the ground And they will realize that she didn't do this. That she's just an old lady. There's no way that she could have dragged these grown men 
into the backyard first off there's no way that she could have killed them to begin with you know and so she's definitely playing this i'm a poor pitiful old woman card so this kind of goes back to i can't remember exactly which episode was a couple weeks ago i think it was right before the one with with the tab on it and it was the one that was like they were like you did this didn't you and then she was just completely just emotionless so that's it's something like i don't want to say like if you commit a crime like this and you just show zero emotion like that you're i mean if you do a crime like this you have zero emotion if you do a crime like this you're literally not human so you're gonna act not human yeah it's wild so the digging of the house continues and a couple days later another body is found at this point when this second body is found no one can find dorothea anymore so officials put out reports for her so everyone can be on the lookout and digging continues so all together seven bodies are found in the backyard with one of the bodies confirmed to be burnt. So when bodies are still being pulled from the backyard, Dorothea is recognized at a bar and arrested almost 1,000 miles away, and officials fly down to get her and bring her back. That's crazy that she was just like, she skipped town, and then she's just like chilling at a bar. Right. Trying to find her next person. Right. So when the bodies are discovered, the family of Everson Gilmoth come forward and said they think Dorothea killed their father too. When Dorothea was in prison, Everson and her started started writing back and forth. And when they she got out of prison, the two got engaged and Everson moved in with Dorothea. Officials from a surrounding town reached out and said that they had a John Doe that matched how the other bodies were found and how the other bodies were passed away. It was confirmed that this body was Everson, and it was determined he was killed about three or four weeks after he moved in with Dorothea. So when the trial began in July 1992, like I said, at this point she's 63 years old, there was enough evidence to add Ruth Monroe, and Everson Gilmoth to the list of victims along with the seven bodies found. So one member of the jury was not fully convinced that Dorothea committed the murders, so said that they would only charge her with three of the nine murders. So Dorothea was convicted of three counts of murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But unfortunately, she was not convicted of Bert, Ruth, or Evanson's murder. That's, I hate using the word funny on this on this show, but like, it's kind of funny. They're like, yeah, you get life in prison. And, you know, she might have like 15 years left or whatever, 15, uh, 20 she years. She did pass away in 2011. Okay. I think she was, I don't know what the math is, but I think she's 82, 83 yeah. at the point of her death. Yeah. But she did right. pass away in 2011. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of those. This is kind of one of those. Uh, I would say this qualifies as the world's worst roommate. <laughs> right. And so this was definitely just, you know, a casual 
a casual Saturday night as I'm watching Netflix. And I was like, yeah, let's just go ahead and watch this. And I was like, this is crazy. And so then the Monday after I went to my office and I was like, I have to write this. I have to write this. Yep. It's um, good. I like it. So this is a crazy case. And so this, how she gets away with it and how long she gets away with it. I think, yeah, that's, that's the big thing to me of how long she's able to how long she's able to get away right. with it and the funny thing is too she's like yeah you can search my house yeah, yeah. you can dig up my yeah. backyard it's just like she's completely forgotten everything right i mean she's li- i also you know but like having multiple last names is oh, yeah. something that like not everybody has the ability to do and so like she takes ha- the fact that she looks extremely older than she is mm-hmm. having these factors about her and having her use those to help her. It's like, no wonder she was able to be able to do this for right. so long. Um, but unfortunately the amount of people that she screwed over mm-hmm. in the meantime. Oh yeah. But anyways, episode 74, this was a good one. Um, so now we're going to go into Steven's conspiracy corner. So this is kind of a conspiracy kind of missing persons crime of the week. I've, I've bundled basically everything except for Florida man into this one. So this story I, I found, it just, it's very funny whenever Google, like when I go to open up a new a new web page on my phone and it like gives me stories I might be interested in. So like when this popped up yesterday, it was like this this story and something like with the new college football game that's coming out next year and like some sports thing also. But I saw this one and I was immediately intrigued by it. So basically the the headlines this one after 35 years missing an air force captain mysteriously reappeared in the bay area mm. um so uh, this story uh, i grabbed a lot of this stuff from uh, from this article uh, from the san francisco gate by andrew uh, chamings i believe is how you pronounce his last name but so i'll ca- kind of read through this kind of quick and we can talk about it um so basically uh this this guy goes missing uh his his name is William Howard Hughes Jr. um and basically he ended up um in June 6th of 2018 after 35 years of of being missing the Air Force special agents knocked on his door and arrested him for um, desertion. So it's really kind of interesting. So basically, he disappeared just out of nowhere in 1983, and he was wanted across the globe by numerous agencies from the Air Force to FBI to even Interpol. at one point, they thought he even had um, defected to the Russians because this was at the time of during the Cold War. And with all that going on, everybody thought that 
you know, as soon as he disappeared, that's he basically went to go work for the Russians because um, he has some very high uh, credentials and knowledge of the United States um, uh, entities, properties, you know, whatever it is. Background. Um, so basically he was, you know, born in, born in Seattle, Washington in, in 1950. Um, he left there in his twenties to, uh, start his career in the air force, uh, when he enlisted in 73. So he was 23 at the time that he enlisted in the air force. And so in 10 years, he actually had moved all the way up to captain at Kirtland air force base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he gained top secret access working on a NATO program that controlled missile launches and missile warning systems. So he, uh, he bought a home there in Albuquerque near the base and lived alone. Uh, in July of 1983, um, he, uh, transferred to the Netherlands for a, you know, kind of a quick work trip, um, so he could kind of work on the same technology there that he was working back here. Um, and he was due back, basically he, he was gone for a month. He was supposed to report, report back to Kirtland, uh, in Albuquerque on August 1st, but he never returned to the base. Hmm. So, uh, the air force, uh, revealed that he was seen withdrawing money from, various ATMs in Albuquerque in late July. Uh, it was approximately 20, almost $29,000 from multiple, multiple locations. Um, whenever they searched his home, they found to-do lists and book to read upon his return. His car was later found at the Albuquerque, uh, airport. Um, and then he was officially classified as absent without leave on August 10th, 1983. So basically this whole disappearance, like I was saying, came in the, in the, you know, in the days of the cold war. So basically that was just like, you know, that was a very giant thing back in the eighties of like, you know, it could be nuclear war right. at a, you know, right. a drop of the pen. Um, and the, so basically just, just completely disappeared. Um, and then it's noted here in the article, it says a search through the archives reveals that William Howard Hughes's name was not mentioned once in the press between 1987 and 2017. Wow. So for, 30 years his name was not mentioned and if you can imagine how like if you not escape but like if you you know i'll call it run away right and you practically and your get name away with it is you yeah. think you're scott i mean you think you're you're good to go everything. you're like yeah now i can come out of hiding yep so in june of 2018 um U.S. Department of State uh, special agents traveled to uh, Daly City on a passport fraud investigation to interview a man living as Barry Timothy O'Brien. I believe is how you pronounce his last name. 
so uh in this air force uh news release it it said after being confronted with inconsistencies about his identity the individual admitted his true name was William Howard Hughes Jr. and that he deserted from the U.S. Air Force in 1983. Wow. So when he was arrested, he was taken to the Travis Air Force Base in Fairfield, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of around mm-hmm. the area. So um, he basically, he was just, he kind of gave his his confession type of, and reasons why he left. He said, you know, he said he became depressed about being in the air force in, in 1983. So he just, he just left to change his identity and he'd lived in California ever since. Interesting. So the, he, he did get charged, uh, with this. So basically it's, uh, he was facing up to, five years of confinement for forfeiture of pay and a dishonorable discharge. Um, the military courts uh, records revealed that Hughes was found guilty of desertation um, desertion and was, he was sentenced to only 45 days in military prison in September mm. of 2018. I was just about to ask if there's like a, what is it called that like after this many years, you pretty much get off scot-free with it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's still as, I mean, that's less his, than probably what you would normally get. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the key thing too, is like, he didn't do anything. He was just like, right. He peace out. See show up. Yeah. Right. So, and it's, here's the also interesting thing about this. Um, so apparently he did get married in these 30 years, he was, mm-hmm. quote, missing. Uh, his wife didn't know his real identity either. Interesting. So uh, the San Mateo Court County Court records uh, fired. Uh, her, she filed for a marriage annulment two months after his arrest. Mm. So this is kind of so. So this is and I didn't really get into conspiracy as much as I was thinking it was. But like. But, I mean, it's a little bit of like 30 years in his, I mean, but that's also the government. And so we won't go into that conversation, but like 30 years that your name is not put out there. And it's just wild to the, the fact that people can do this, like, and oh yeah, do it good. Well, and, and the, the kind of the, and like basically you know the like the questions at the end were like why did he just not resign you know what caused him to do this and then and the the last thing that i really like this line it was was it just a coincidence that a captain with top secret clearance working on highly classified missile tech became disillusioned with the work and walked out at the peak of the cold war without telling us all that's the thing that's where the conspiracy is exactly and so like it's just there's and there's something at work that I'm working on too, and it's just like, you know, f- for example, it's just like we show we shipped these items, mm-hmm. the pictures show it, but the customer is saying that they don't have them, mm-hmm. and so I'm just like, we like it. Right. It just doesn't add up, and and that's why I was, I was telling our our shipping guy, I was like, 
I was like, I believe you. I was just like, it just something is not adding up right. I'm like, it just does not make sense. So I'm gonna like and the the picture of him too, I'll show you real quick. Mm. He, like he still has the like same hair part yep. and like the kind of the mustache with the beard. I mean like you're like the yep. same facial hair, the same yep. I mean he hasn't bald at all. No. Still has a full head of hair, the same style, the same yep. way. He literally looks exactly the same. Yep. So I th- I thought it was really uh funny or kind of interesting. So, but yeah, conspiracy. Well, there you go. Episode seventy four. You got a long one and you got a full one. So we'll end it here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Like always, this is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Cremology. Cremology.